0: We need to get into God's word. I have some announcements which I'll give uh, to the church after we finish. Uh, we had a, a moment of remembrance. This is Remembrance Sunday. We did that at 11 o'clock this morning. Uh, we prayed and remembered all those who gave their lives for our freedom around the world. And we prayed for those who laid down their lives in our country again for our freedom also. So we thank God for them. Come with me, please, this morning to the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Any of the Sunday school children are going, you can go now. And chapter 5. Song of Solomon, chapter 5. And we shall read from verse 9. What is your beloved more than another beloved? O fairest among women. What is your beloved more than another beloved that you so charge us? My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among ten thousand. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs, his lips are lilies, dripping liquid mirror. His hands are like rods of gold set with beryl. His body is carved ivory and led with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend. O Daughters of Jerusalem. The Song of Solomon is a lyrical love poem. And it's written in typical Eastern flowery fashion. Uh, Eastern style makes great use of the simile. So if you were to read through this book, you'll see lots of similes like, Thy hair is like a flock of goats. His cheeks are like beds of spices. His head is like the finest gold. And so forth. And at the heart of this book is a love story. A love story between the Shulamite, this beautiful young woman, and her shepherd lover whom she's espoused to in Shunem. And the background to the story is this. Solomon, in his pomp and his power, at this time has 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, concubines are inferior to wives. Uh, they are And in fact, mistresses, although they're not hidden away. They're certainly part of the the harem at the palace. Solomon would send out throughout the whole country, men to scour the land, to seek and to find the most beautiful woman he could find and bring them back to the palace to either be a concubine or another wife. Many of his wives were princesses from other kings, neighboring kings, and uh, that helped him politically to make alliances with other nations Be very hard to fight another nation to attack you if you were married to one of their daughters. So there's a lot of political shenanigans going on in all of that. But whenever these women would be brought back to the palace to be their wife or a concubine, they would be treated lavishly. And they would be given the most beautiful of costumes to wear and the most expensive perfume. And everything was extravagant. Their quarters, where they lived and where they stayed, was beautiful. And this young Shulamite woman, uh, she was brought back and Solomon really took a shine to her. She was absolutely beautiful. And Solomon did everything he could in his power to win her and to woo her. And he went out of his way to say the most beautiful things about her and so forth. But she was having none of it. She had only eyes for one person and that was her shepherd the sh- from Shunman, her beloved and the portion we just read, the daughters of Jerusalem, uh, they were the part of the harem. That's who she's addressing. And they could not understand, well, why, why, why are you turning down King Solomon and all his beauty and all of his power and all of his riches and all of his influence? Why would you do that for a shepherd? And then she goes on to a very flowery way of expressing her love and her feelings towards her shepherd lover from Shunem. And I I would love to take the time to go through the whole book, but we can't do that. I've done that in the past. It's a wonderful book. I'd encourage you to read it. There's some beautiful statements in it that you could could preach for a month in this book alone. But I just want to draw your attention to an intriguing, evocative sentence that she said in the midst of what we have just read. It's in verse 16. After all the, the similes she used to describe him, then she said, yes, he is altogether lovely. Yes. He is altogether lovely. Yes, right. Now, here's a, here's a picture, if you will, of the, the Shulamite um, expressing her love towards her shepherd lover. And this is a picture, I suppose, of Christ and his church. Uh, because Christ is our shepherd lover, he calls himself the good shepherd. Yeah. Yeah. And the book of Hebrews, he's called the, the great shepherd. Uh, Apostle Peter calls him the chief shepherd, and so he's our shepherd, and he loves us, and we love him. And if you read through the whole book, you would see these conversations going on between the between the Shulamite and the shepherd, and the daughters of Jerusalem and Solomon. It's a wonderful book, but it's this thing here. Yes, he is altogether lovely, and we too can say about Christ, right. he is altogether right. lovely. Amen. 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 Uh, There are men that are lovely, no question about that, but none are altogether lovely. Only Christ is altogether lovely. Some men, they act good. Some men look good, but they act bad. You know, some of them are knowledgeable, but they lack wisdom. Some are lacking in physique and looks, but they're rich in character. Uh, Some are strong, but they're not loving. Some are long on gifts, but they're short on graces. You see, even men that are lovely are not altogether lovely. Only Christ is altogether lovely. Absalom, that son of David, uh, he was very handsome, and he had beautiful, beautiful long hair. And that was his pride and his glory, this beautiful head of hair. He had a beautiful head, but he had a horrible heart. He was a wicked man. He looked good on the outside, but he was rotten on the inside. Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived on the face of the earth. And yet for all of his wisdom, he acted very, very foolishly. He never should have had 700 wives and 300 concubines. God warned him against this because what happened, and he was warned this would happen, that they came with their pagan gods and he accommodated that. And in the end, In the end, it drew him away from the living God to a very large degree. So he acted very, very foolishly. Samson was the strongest man that ever lived, but yet he was weak morally. You remember in 2 Kings 5, it talks about Naaman, the captain of the host of Syria. And he was a great commander. He was a top-notch soldier. He was a five-star general. And he was very courageous. And the Bible says he was a very honorable man, but... But he was a leper. He was a leper. You see, the best of men are just men at best. No matter how good men are. When I say men, I'm speaking generically. I'm talking about every man, every woman. Humanity. The best are just men at best. And so, Christ is altogether lovely. He's the lily of the lily of the valleys. He's the fairest of 10,000. He's the brightest star. He's the loveliest of lords. He's the kingliest of all kings. Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. I have examined him. There's nothing worthy of death in this man. Pilate's wife had a dream, said to Pilate, Have nothing to do with that just man. Even one of the thieves on the cross said to his friend, he says, we deserve what we're getting today, but this man has done nothing amiss. Even one of his executioners looked up and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Even Judas, who betrayed him, took those 30 pieces of silver back to the Pharisees and threw them at his feet and said, I have betrayed innocent blood. You see, he was altogether lovely. W.Y. Fullerton in one of his old hymns, he said, When the morning stars were singing and the world was newly born and all of life was filled with music, music of the morn, there was one above the splendor who commanded it to be and in all the heavenly radiance none so fair as he. He is altogether lovely. Altogether lovely in his ways. Revelation 15 and 3, just and true are your ways, O Lord. Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways. The apostle Paul talked about the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. You see, he's altogether lovely in his ways. But as for the Lord, his ways are perfect. You see, as men, we have mixed motives. We have carnal desires. We have selfish ambitions. We have our own agendas. But as for the Lord, His ways, and only His ways, are totally perfect. You can trust His ways. You can trust His word. You can trust His promises. You can put your hand into His hand, and He'll lead you in paths of righteousness for His namesake. You can trust Him because He's altogether lovely in his ways. He's altogether lovely in his words. Never man spoke like this man. We never heard it before in this fashion. No one ever spoke like Jesus. All the religious scribes and the Pharisees, none of them ever spoke like the Lord Jesus. In fact, the people said, he speaks with authority, not as the scribes. The scribes were always quoting some rabbi here and some rabbi there. And Jesus, he said, you have heard it from old that has been said, but I say unto you. He spoke on his own authority. He didn't need to quote anybody. He spoke from his own authority. His words were altogether lovely. His words were gracious. They were tender. They were compassionate. They were merciful. They were loving. They were kind. They were honest. They were honest because sometimes he had to rebuke and chastise. But even when he rebuked and chastised, he spoke the truth in love. You see, because his words were altogether lovely. Now, none of us likes chastise. None of us like rebukes. None of us. It's hard to take. But if the Lord does it, it's for our good and for his glory. And even if he does it and it stings when it happens. And we know he's chastising us, yet it's altogether lovely because it's good. Some men's words are lovely, but never altogether lovely because we lie, we flatter, we boast, we condemn, we gossip, we promise and don't pay, we say and we do not, and so are the best well in the world. Even if her words are lovely, they're not altogether lovely. In Luke 4, it says, they wondered at the gracious words that proceeded from his mouth. They wondered. <clears throat> They'd never heard words like this. Your sins are forgiven you. Only believe. All things are possible to him that believes. Fear not. Peace, be still. Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. No man could say that, only Jesus. No man could boast that, only Christ, because his words are altogether lovely. In John 1 and 14, and think about it in this sense that we're talking about, John says, We beheld his glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. (laughs) Full of grace and full of truth. Full of grace, that's his ways. Full of truth, those are his words. And his ways and his words are altogether lovely. You can find no fault in him. Nothing. He's perfect in every way. In Psalm 85 and 10, it says, mercy and truth have met each other. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. How? How can mercy and truth meet each other? In Jesus Christ, the one who is full of grace, full of mercy, and full of truth. The woman taken in adultery. Grace says, neither do I condemn you, but truth says, but go and sin no more the man who was at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. That's grace. But then later on he meets him. And he said to him, behold, you are made whole. Now sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. That's truth. You remember the little woman, the Syrophoenician, the Greek little lady, who came to Jesus begging him because her daughter was demon-possessed to do something about it? And he just ignored her. And the disciples didn't like this. And they they kept trying to shoo her away. But she kept following. He was testing her. So he ignored her. But she kept following. And she kept asking. And then he said, but it's not fitting. It's not right to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. You know, often Jews called those who were non-Jews dogs. Now, everything Jesus said is true here. It's truth. He says, I'm not called except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That was true. But she kept persisting and persisting. And then she said, she says, but Lord, that's true. I know that. But even the little puppies, they get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Grace spoke and says, woman, for this saying, go your way. The devil has gone out of your daughter. And she went home. And at that hour, she was completely set free. See, he's full of grace. And he's full of truth. So he's altogether lovely in his ways, he's altogether lovely in his words. He's altogether lovely in his wisdom. First Corinthians 1 Christ is called the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. In Luke chapter 2. chapter 2 I'm reading verse 40 and the child grew and became strong in spirit filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover and when he was 12 years old they took him up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast and when they had finished the day's and when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. What does that mean? Well, whenever they came to Jerusalem, Mary and Joseph and Jesus and all his siblings, aunts and uncles and cousins and grannies and grandmas, the whole family entourage, they would travel together. It would keep them safe as well keeping company but whenever they were going back there was a lot of them they didn't notice jesus was missing for a whole day and then finally the penny dropped where's jesus and so it says uh, in verse uh, 44 but supposing him to have been in the company they went a day's journey and sought him among the relatives and acquaintances so when they did not find him they returned to jerusalem seeking him now it was so that after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers both listening to them and asking them questions and all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers and so when they saw him they were amazed ah, a twelve year old boy sitting with the top theologians of his day with the learned men in the temple. And for three days he kept their attention, asking them questions, giving them answers. Wouldn't you like to have been there? Wouldn't you like to hear heard some of the questions and some of the answers he gave? I mean, these men were astonished. They were amazed that such a boy had such depth of wisdom. You see, he was altogether lovely in his wisdom. I mentioned a moment ago about the woman taken in adultery and how that they brought her to Jesus in the temple threw her at his feet and said, the law says this woman committed adultery. She should be stoned. And the law did say that. Absolutely true. But at that moment, they didn't care about that woman and they weren't even caring about the law. They were just trying to trap Jesus because he was preaching love and forgiveness and grace and pardon and compassion, everything they knew nothing about. And Jesus, for a moment, said nothing. But in devastating wisdom, he stooped down and he began to write in the ground. Now, it's mere conjecture what he wrote because we don't know, but could it have been the Ten Commandments? Could he have written down, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, and maybe looked at one of them until he felt ashamed and walked away? Thou shalt not commit adultery? (laughs) They were like that until he looked at another one, and then his head would fall and he'd walk away. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And one by one, whatever he wrote, one by one by one, from the eldest to the youngest, they all left. Woman, where are your accusers? You see, for a death sentence to be passed, you need at least two, maybe three accusers, witnesses. But there was none. They went away with their tail between their legs because they recognized their sinful nature. Ah. Woman, where are your accusers? Remember what he said to them? Let him without stone, let him without sin cast the first stone. And they all left. Where are your accusers? No one accused me, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. There's that grace. But go and sin no more. <clears throat> There's the truth. Such wisdom. Such wisdom he had. The rich young ruler came to Jesus. He says, Master, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus mentioned several of the commandments. He says, I I have done all of these since since my youth. And then again, with that insightful wisdom, Jesus says, well, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come, follow me. Follow me. The Bible says he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. The Bible says that Jesus loved him. But you see, Jesus in his wisdom, he knew what the heart of the problem was with this young man. Yes, he was a good young man. Yes, he was trying to live his best for God. Yes, he tried to obey the commandments. Yes, he was seeking after truth. But his possessions possessed him. That was his issue. That was his problem. And the wisdom of Christ knew that and put his finger in that. And he walked away. And Jesus was sorrowful because of that. Because he loved him. Altogether lovely in his wisdom. In Luke chapter 20, verse 1, it says, It has not happened one of those days that he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, that the chief priests and scribes together with the elders confronted him and spoke to him saying, tell us by what authority are you doing these things or who is he who gave you this authority? They were constantly trying to trap him and trick him, constantly. But he was too wise for them. But he answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing and answer me. All right, if you answer me, I'll answer you. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? This was a masterstroke, listen. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe in him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it was from. And Jesus said to them, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's almost funny, isn't it? But it was Wisdom. He was able to turn the tables on them. Right. I know the Bible says that we can have the wisdom of God. Right. You know, and people will try to trip you and trick you and get you to say things and do th- You can turn the tables on them with the wisdom of God. Mm-hmm. You can say to them, well, hold on a moment. Let me ask you this first. And then see, mm-hmm. see how they respond, how they react. See, this is the wisdom of God. And then he gives them a whole parable. And then after the parable... In verse 20, it says, So they watched him, and they sent spies who pretended to be righteous, that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. Then they asked him, saying, Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly, that you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God and truth. They were liars. They didn't believe that for one second. But they were flattering they're softening them up as they thought. And then they were going to trap them. So after they said those nice things, then they said, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? See, this was a big issue. The Jews hated to have to pay taxes to these pagan occupying forces. They hated it with a passion. There's only one thing they hated more than that, and that was renegade Jews who collected taxes for the Romans, like Zacchaeus and others. And so they thought, well, if, if, he, if he says, no, forget about tax, don't pay your tax. They'll say, aha, you don't pay taxes? We do. So you're against Caesar. So therefore, we're going to commit you to the governor. We're going to get you arrested. That's what they would have said. Huh. Verse 23. But he perceived their craftiness. Listen to the wisdom. Said to them, why do you test me? Show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription does it have? And they answered and said, Caesar's. He said to them, well, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. It's so simple, but it's pure wisdom. Do you know that after 2,000 years, we still quote that phrase? You go to pay your taxes and well, you have to render on to Caesar. You have to give the Chancellor of <laughs> He's Caesar at the moment, isn't he? But listen to this. But they could not catch him in his words in the presence of the people, and they marveled at his answer and kept silent. These were his enemies and they marveled. They were astounded at such wisdom. It was just so easy for him. He just was so full of wisdom that he never ever could catch him in his words. He was altogether lovely in his wisdom. And then finally, he's altogether lovely in his ways, he's altogether lovely in his words, Altogether lovely in his wisdom, but he was altogether lovely in his winsomeness. Winsome. There's a word we don't use often. It's an old English word. It's a lovely word. Winsome. What does it mean? It means captivating, charming, attractive, appealing, winning. And Jesus was winsome. There's something that was attractive and captivating and appealing and charming about him. You know, God in his wisdom never left us an image of what he looked like. Because if he did, we'd have worshipped it. The Caesars had their statues in the streets. They had their, their busts of their face and pillars everywhere. They wanted to be seen of man and to be worshipped. And God knew that if we had an image, we'd worship it. The Shroud of Turin has become an object of worship almost, which is a ridiculous thing. But no, having said that, there must have been something, even about his physical appearance, even with that, there must have been something that was attractive and appealing. Little children were drawn to him and they would come to him with no fear no reserve. He'd pick them up in his arms and he'd bless them. There's something about him. His personality, his very presence. When Jesus would walk into a room, his very presence would light up the place. That's what I mean by winsome, lovely, beautiful, gracious. Men, women, boys, girls, young, old, no matter there was an attraction about Christ. He was exceptionally strong, and yet he was very tender. On the cross, he was suffering indescribable, excruciating pain and anguish, and yet he never cried one tear for himself. Not a tear was shed for him, and yet... At the grave of his friend Lazarus, he wept openly and unashamedly because his heart was so moved. When he saw those sisters, he saw their grief and their hurt and their pain, even though he knew he was going to raise them up from the dead, but he shed tears in front of all. And they said, see how he loved him. They could see the tears. See, he's so winsome. I don't know if you ever watch... Those programs on television about those North Sea trawler men who fish in the North Sea or the, the Barents Sea and how dangerous it is and how tough and hard that work is. I mean, these men are like steel. I mean, it's tough, hard, labor and work. I can understand why fish is so expensive. You watch one of them programs and you'll understand why fish is so expensive. I mean, these, these guys risk their lives every day and it's hard, tough work not like somebody sitting on the beach casting a wee lion. I mean, this is hard labor. And Peter, James, and John were professional fishermen. They had big, rough, calloused hands. They had weather-beaten faces. This was their day-to-day job. They knew about the storms in Galilee. They had been in many storms in Galilee. They knew all about it. They knew what it was like to haul those nets in and get those pots up for whatever they do. They knew all about that. And yet Jesus, the winsome Jesus, (laughs) the lovely Jesus, he went to them and he says, men, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men if you follow me. And every one of them, they just left all. They laid down their professions and their jobs and their career, everything, their business. They laid down everything and they followed Jesus. What an attraction. What an appeal he had that they would follow him. He was altogether lovely. No sin to mar him. No old nature to spoil him. He was altogether lovely. And you know, the Shulamite, she could say, I could tell you many things about my shepherd, but I'll tell you one thing. He's altogether lovely. He's altogether lovely. I may run out of words to describe him, but I'll tell you this, he's altogether lovely. Amen. Yeah. And so is Christ. Yes. Our Jesus, our Lord, our yes, Savior, yes, the one whom we love, the one who loves us more than we could ever love him. Right. No matter how much we think we love him, he loves us a million times more. Amen. He's so loving and gracious and kind and merciful and lovely and compassionate towards us. That's the Jesus that we serve. That's the Jesus the world needs to know about. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be sufficient for us. You know, there's lots of people like that. You know, the God of the Old Testament, not too sure about, oh, Jesus, he's nice, but that God of the Old Testament. But Jesus said to Philip, Philip, if I've been with you such a long time and you haven't seen the Father, he that has seen me have seen the Father. I'm like what the Father's like. Look at what I do. Look at what I say. Listen to me. Let me show you the actions of the Father. I do everything to please the Father. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. Amen. He is altogether lovely. Aren't you glad today that you know him as your Savior? Amen. What about you today? Do you know him as your Savior? Is he altogether lovely to you? Is he your shepherd? Is he the good shepherd of your soul? Is he the great shepherd? Is he the chief shepherd? Is he your savior today? If he's not, I encourage you and I invite you to ask him to be your Lord and your savior. And if you do, then you'll be able to say like the Shulamite and you'll prove it in your life that he is altogether lovely. Glory to God, amen? Amen. Come, we pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we know you as our saviour today. We thank you that you paid the greatest price to save our eternal souls. We thank you for your gospel, your good news. That you came to live and to die for us. And that you rose again for us. you're seated at the right hand of the Father for us. And you're coming back for us. So we bless you today that to us you're altogether lovely. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for so great salvation. We bless you today. We honor you today. We uplift up your lovely name today. And we say thank you for being so gracious and so good to us. In Jesus' name, and everybody say it. Amen.